You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Church at Home. If we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. I just want to thank you for tuning in today as we're kicking off a brand new series called Famous Last Words. Now, here's the thought behind all of it. Maybe you've had a friend or a family member who, um, they're going to something crazy and uh, and they just think like it's not going to work out, you know, and oftentimes when that happens, we, we just utter that phrase, oh man, I'm going to go and I'm going to go whitewater rafting or something like that. And you, just, you just say like, oh man, famous last words, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we, we just sort of say in popular uh, social terminology, but how many of you have ever had a time where you can think about maybe the last words that someone spoke to you, like a loved one or a friend where maybe you knew at the time or you didn't, but just those words, because of what happened after that, they were, uh, they were famous to you. They were incredibly impactful. Um, and as we go into this series, we're going forward in the gospel of John, uh, that's kind of what's happening here. Like, you know, um, I've had that experience in life where I, I saw a loved one uh, at the end of their life, and sometimes I was aware of it, sometimes I wasn't, uh, but they knew. They, they knew that, okay, this was going to be the last time we were going to speak, and uh, the result was they chose their words very, very carefully to me, and looking back on it, I can understand that in the moment, I had no clue. And, and maybe for you, um, maybe it's just a question to go internal, like maybe just to sort of think about, man, okay, if you knew, if you knew that this was going to be the last time you spoke to somebody that you loved. Our chance is good that you would uh, choose your words very carefully. You know, like, would you make sure that, okay, whatever needs to be said is said and whatever uh, thing they need to know, they know. Pro- of course you would, because you would want to uh, help them carry on forward after you were gone. And uh, that's exactly what's happening in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, uh, open to John 13. That's where we're going to be today. So uh, John does this unique thing in his Gospel where the brunt of the remainder of his gospel is really about Jesus's last words to his disciples, his last meal with them uh, before he's ultimately crucified and rises from the dead. And even though Jesus, uh, he knows everything that's going to happen, even though he knows okay, he's going to suffer agony and he knows he's going to rise again, even though he knows that, he also knows that it's never going to be the same again after this. That their entire relationship dynamic is about to change. And so what you find Jesus doing is, is he begins to just spell out things to his disciples that are incredibly personal and that are incredibly important. And because John was there, because he was at this supper, um, he has all these other details that, that the other or the other gospels don't have. And, and I'll give you an example of like how John just wants you to see certain things that that uh, Luke or, or Matthew don't get that much wrapped in. So for instance, okay, the other Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're called the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, the Synoptic Gospels, they'll talk about Jesus being at the Last Supper, and it's kind of a quick thing. And they'll talk about the, the big thing they want you to know is that he instituted communion, right? Like that that uh, that Jesus, uh, he, he, he does this, so like in Luke uh, 22, it says uh, in verse 19, And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And we know this story, but here's the interesting thing. Uh, John doesn't talk about communion at all 
In his huge Last Supper narrative, he never brings it up because he's not that concerned with, with church religious practices. He's more concerned about the personal application of a relationship with Jesus. And in fact, Luke's, uh, Luke's account of the Last Supper gives us the context for what we're going to read in John's account of it. And, and you just need to know this, okay? So just going a little bit more, Luke, before we jump into John 13. So you've got this moment. Jesus is just like he's given communion. He's given this like, here's a way to remember me after I'm gone. And, bef- and you just got to love like the the hard-headedness of his disciples. I mean, like before the taste of wine is even out of their mouths, you find Luke recording this detail. Like, okay, so communion ends in verse 20 and right in verse 24, it says a dispute arose among uh, them, talking about his disciples, as to which of them was considered the greatest. Now just think about that for a minute, okay? That like, like literally communion, the very first communion, this incredibly sacred special event has just wrapped up. And before you're like, man, that was good. Now, who do you think is the best? I'm just curious. Peter, what do you think? I don't know. I think, Andrew, if I had to say, I'd say it's probably me, but you know, what what are we going to do with this? I mean, like this dispute just arises right there. And it's that background. It's that background that John's going to pick up in his gospel. And he's going to show how Jesus responded to it. Now, Luke will say, you know, like Jesus had a couple of words to that, but John wants us to see, listen, there's a big theme for how we relate to God, for defining greatness, we're defining being good at this relationship with God thing. And so in John 13, starting in verse two, it says this, the evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So, look at this. Okay, so Jesus knowing that he's coming, or that he came from God, he's going back to God, knowing that he's already the victor, knowing that Jesus, basically Jesus knowing that he is the greatest ever. What does he do with that knowledge? Verse four, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Again, this is a response to who's the greatest. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, you might go, what in the world is going on there? So just to to backtrack, uh, in the first century, uh, you know, people, they didn't have cars. They typically walked from place to place and they didn't have Nikes or New Balances. They wore sandals. And the thing with sandals are um, they're open. So when you go from place to place, you would just pick up all this dirt on your feet. And so typically what would happen was when a person entered a home, um, their feet would be washed. But here's the thing to understand about that. Um, feet washing to them was extremely degrading. It was humiliating. Like to get down on your hands and knees and wash someone's feet um, if you understand like how ridiculous what Jesus is doing is, um, it was well recorded that Hebrew slaves were exempt from washing someone's feet. Like slaves didn't have to do that. Like they would go, listen, the Gentiles can do that. If you, if you, if it, you know, because listen, that was a world where they had slavery. I'm not saying it's okay, but that's where they were. Um, feet washing, it was, it was reserved for like a place of absolute dedication. You can find stories of, uh, like, uh, I think of a, of a dedicated wife in, uh, in a first century thing of literature where like, she wants to show her husband how dedicated to him that she is. And so she wants to wash his feet and he stops her. He's like, no, I can't let you do that. Now, in that world, think about that, like where women were, were just considered second-class citizens to even say to her, like, mm, I, I can't let you do that. It was this thing about I mean, every now and then you could find someone uh, washing someone else's foot as a, as a sign of extreme dedication, but never, never like Jesus did. And the reason why it was never like Jesus did was because you would never have somebody who was of higher social status washing the feet of someone who is lower than them. I mean, that was just never 
take place. And, and yet, when Jesus does this, he empties himself to the point, okay, like when it talks about him like taking off his outer garment and, and wrapping himself in a towel, he's clothing himself in the attire of a slave. Like if you're just curious, like what's the this like what's the like the the meaning of that that little detail right there? Jesus is like he's just completely emptying himself of all honor, emptying himself of all prestige, emptying himself of all majesty and glory to take the lowest possible position in the eyes of his disciples to wash their feet. And his disciples get this. I mean, they absolutely understand in that moment like what he's doing, and they're mortified by it. It's why, look, uh, verse 6, here's what it says. Uh, it says, then he came, like Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Like, like what, are you, really? Are you going to do that? But, but look at what Jesus, can remember famous last words. Jesus knows something that's coming that, that Peter and the guys, they don't know yet. Verse 7, Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. But Peter, he's having none of it. None of it. So here's, okay, so Jesus, listen, you don't understand, but I just want you to trust me, Peter. There's a big spiritual significance to what I'm doing. Verse eight. No, said Peter, <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. I just love this. Like he just completely brushes aside Jesus' words in that moment, right? So like, like he, first of all, he's shocked. Like, like are you really going to do this? And Jesus is like, Peter, I just need you to trust me that there's a spiritual significance going on. And Peter's like, yeah, about that. No, like just, just swats it away, right? Okay. But look at this, verse, verse 8, continuing. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And you might be like, what, what is he getting at here? Well, here's what he's getting at. Like that, like that little line right there is incredibly significant because here's the thing Jesus is, is starting just to unpack in this moment. He's going, listen, the washing is about Jesus washing away our sin. And here's Jesus saying, listen, unless you let me take that away, unless you let me wash that off of you, you have no part with me. I mean, and this is, this is New Testament imagery of the saving work of Jesus. I'll give you an example. 1 Corinthians, 11, or 1 Corinthians 6, 11, Paul writes this. After talking about how all of us have baggage, all of us have offenses against God, and he just gives this long list of all kinds of sins that people commit and all kinds of sinners that there are, and that's all of us. He says, and that is what some of you were. Because you, you, you were all sinners. You all had that gunk in your life. But, says Paul, you were washed, and there's our word. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. Sanctified meaning, okay, like Jesus washed away your sin and he began to create this process in you where you're becoming more and more like God. Washed and justified, and this, we talk about this all the time, this word in the Greek uh, that we translate as justified means declared righteous. That, that when God looks at you because of what Jesus has done, if you let him wash away your sin, he makes it as, as though it, that, it, that it never happened. In his, in his book, in his eyes, like that thing that you want to throw guilt over, God would say, I have no idea what you're talking about. Like justified, declared righteous. Why? Because we were washed with the blood of Christ. And so that's what Jesus is getting at here in John when he says to Peter, like, listen, unless you let me wash you, you've got no part with me. So here's Peter. And again, I mean, sometimes you, you hear Peter and you're just like, okay, that's me. Like in a nutshell, I, I, I am the king of missing the point too. And it's exactly what Peter does still in that moment. He just, he speaks before he thinks. And so verse nine, then Lord said, Simon Peter, all right. So, okay, I got, I got it. So let me, I'm going to go all in on this. All right. So Lord, Simon Peter replied, uh, not just my feet, but uh, my hands and my head as well. Okay. So yeah, oh, that's what you're doing. Okay, I got it. I got to just do that. I want you just to catch something, by the way, though. Um, Besides the fact that Peter is still completely missing it, can, can we just notice something that when it comes down to 
how he wants to relate to Jesus. He's dictating the terms. Like, like, can we just take that for a minute? Okay. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah. The feet, that's fine. But also get this and get this here. Like he's reluctant to let Jesus do what Jesus wants to do. And for how many of us, okay, like this is how we like, like there are certain areas that will step and, and Peter is just, mm, I, I don't want to. Um, and, and yet I, I want to just bring this out here that, that, that Jesus pushes right back against that. And so verse 10 said, Jesus answered, listen, Peter, you, you don't understand. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. That's what, that's what the, the purifying work of Jesus has done. Peter, I've wiped away your sin. And he goes, and you're clean. All right. Like saved, made clean. But here's why, why Jesus wants to wash Peter's feet. Like, that's why it's symbolic on, on a few levels. Let me start with the first one. Um, because after you're washed, right, you've had that shower, you've had that bath, okay, but you go out back into the world and your feet get dirty again. And you might be clean, like you might have, but listen, you've just picked up some stuff on your feet. You're going to pick up dirt. And here's the thing, you need Jesus to wash that too. Because your feet, they represent something. They represent where you've come from and where you're going. And say, can I just preach this to you for a moment, okay? Like, here's what's happening with Peter. Like, Peter, what he wants to do is he wants to go, like, here's the safe areas. Like, this is what I'll let God work on. This is how I'll let God relate to me. But instead, no, what Jesus goes, I want the whole thing. I want the parts that are dirty. Like, listen, Peter's head, his hands, they're clean. And Jesus goes, I have no need of that. The part of you that's dirty is your feet. And this is what you need to know, brother, sister. You're going to walk through life, okay? Like, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit if you're in Jesus. He's going to wash away your sin. But as you go through it, you're going to drop the ball. Time and time and time again. And what you'd be tempted to do is, is you'd be tempted just to sort of go like, oh, I'll just cover it up. Like, I'll let Jesus deal with something else. But come on, let me just let me just gut check for a moment. Let me just ask you, what's that part of your life that you hope God doesn't bring up? What's that part of your heart and your relationship with him? And, and it's not that little thing. It's like, ooh, I said a swear word. And, oh, God, help. And I'm talking about like that thing that you pray to God nobody else knows about. You pray to God. I mean, I hope he never says something about that. It's that, God, I fell down in the muddy and I don't know what to do thing. And here's Jesus, and he goes, I see it, and I want it. I want it. Let me wash your feet. God, that's, that's, that's humiliating. How can I treat you like that? And Jesus goes, I'm the one who wants to look like a slave. I'm the one who wants to I'll lower myself completely to meet you where you are. And I need you to hear this today. Somebody. Because we've been, we've been taught this version of Christianity that says grace is for the past, but never for the present or the future. We believe, okay, like if I get saved, i got to make it up to God. And you never could. You never could. I need you to hear this today. God's grace for you is ongoing. God's grace for you is ongoing. Yeah, he washed you. Yeah, he made you clean, but as you've been walking, you've picked up some stuff that he wants to wash off as you go. And you go, I, I could never ask him that. I, I mean, like that I would be such an affront to God and I would just point out to you, remember the setting of this story. Like if, his, if Jesus is in a room where he washes the feet of Judas, he can wash yours too. And so, Mm, that's some good preaching. Jeez, if we were in person, I hope somebody would react. But we're, we're really, really white, so probably not. Okay, so look, uh, verse 12, continuing, it says this. So, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. So, okay, he, he finishes it, gets dressed back, and, and then he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? 
verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord. And rightfully so. I mean, that is what I am. And so now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, hey guys, here's what you're going to do with this. You also should wash one another's feet. Okay, Jesus is saying, listen, if I, the teacher and Lord, am not above this, neither are you. And come on, let's just think about this. Like if anybody at that table had the right to have his feet washed, it was Jesus. Come on, I mean, like, let's, let's just own this for a second here. Like that if Jesus is going like, hey, um, if I, the teacher and Lord, am not above lowering myself to the point of humiliation, emptying myself for the sake of lifting you up, not a single one of you is above it for your brothers or sisters. If this is how I am, not one of you is above it. And man, if anybody could give an excuse for why he shouldn't have to do it, it's Jesus. Listen, he's the most qualified teacher. He's sinless. Hey, and also, by the way, um, like we're talking about serving, because how, how many of us, like, like we, we're just so tired in life. And like, I mean, doesn't Jesus have the right to say, listen, I have a big day tomorrow. Okay. By the way, guys, just so that we're like we're clear, I have a lot on my plate. I don't have time for this, man. I've had a long week. I've been doing it. None of that. None of that. Because he sees their needs. He goes, I'm going to show you how you relate to others. And so he reiterates in verse 15. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Verse 16. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Verse 17. Now, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I have a word for somebody today. You've misinterpreted your relationship with God. You're smart. But the mistake that you make is that you think God saved you to make you great, and he didn't. Hey, somebody, somebody just needs to hear this say, um, here's a word. God says, I didn't save you to make you great. I saved you, I saved you to make you a servant. And the problem is a lot of us want to be elevated, and we miss the heart of the relationship, fundamentally for how we are to relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, just to clarify something, because right now somebody's tensing up because they're like, oh man, he's talking about work. No, no, no. The point is not work at all. The point is not like the, the, the foot washing and like the, oh man, I got to get the towel and I'm, not, I'm tired, but I got to do it. You're missing it. Like the reason God wants you to do this is not because he wants to put more on your plate. Like verse 17 says, like, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. The point is not work. The point is blessing. Like, why, why would God want me to serve? Uh, because he loves you, right? You'll be blessed if you do these things. Like, God is not looking to give you another to-do list item. He's looking to bless you. Like, I love it. Uh, Rick Warren said it like this uh, years ago. Just talking about like, how human beings are wired. He said, God designed you to be happiest when you are giving your life away. Like, you've been created to give your life away and pour into other people and to pour into the ministry of the gospel. And it's only by keeping it to yourself that you find yourself miserable. Again, Proverbs 11.25 says it like this. It says, a generous person, generous in their time, generous in their wealth, generous in their energy. A generous person will prosper. Why? Because whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And here's Jesus going, listen, if you do this, You'll be blessed for it. And I want to, in, in the remainder of our time, I just want to transition this here and talk about church life. 
And the reason I want to do that um, is because I think it's com completely apt given the nature of this. Like here they are sitting at the Lord's table, like communion and service within the body. And that is something uniquely us within the family of God. And I want to bring this up um, because when it comes to this idea of lowering ourselves, being humiliated, just putting others before us, I got to tell you guys, like it's been my experience that we stink at this. It's all about us elevating ourselves and like being recognized. I mean, appreciate I mean, my, my, my gifts and my talents. They, they deserve to be appreciated the way that, that I see them. And, and there's so much talk of me and so much talk of like, look at me, look at me. I'll give you some examples. So for instance, like in the time that I've been here pastoring at, at SGC, how many times have I, I had that conversation where I'll talk with a guy and he's, He's like, you know, oh man, I'm really interested in, in leading a Bible study or man, I could fill in for you one week if you're off or, you know, okay, um, but how about, you know, you know what we need? We need somebody to hold the door for somebody or, or help in the parking lot. And I get this put back, I get this response of like, oh man, well, that's, that, I don't think that'd be a really good use of my gifts. Why? Well, because he, he wants to be elevated. She wants to be elevated. And I've just learned something. There's this, this old uh, leadership adage. This is how I pick people to lead. Um, it's by this phrase. I, I didn't come up with phrase. In fact, I don't even know who said it. It's been attributed to a bunch of people if you Google it, but simply this. Um, the reason that heart isn't good is because if serving is beneath you, leadership is beyond you. And, and we see that from Jesus right here. Like, listen, he goes, what I want for you is to empty yourself for your brother and sister. And so many people, what they want is the spotlight. Listen, here, here, here's the truth. This is where so many people get it wrong in the churches. We're just happy to be at the table, right? We're happy just to get in there, sit down. I, mean, I got, shoot, I got to the table. This is good. Like I'm having the experience with Jesus. And like, and how many of us, come on, we, we walk into the room, we see the knees, we see the bowl and the towel sitting right there. And we just gloss right past it. And we gloss right past it because we're just happy to be there in the presence of the Lord. And yet here's Jesus going, nah, that's not what I want for you. That's not what I want for you. I mean, we have no interest in serving the other people sitting around the table. We're just happy that we personally are there. It's why, hey, in American church, you should just know this. There's a business for shaking people out of this mindset. Like, we can hire, like, as a church, there are people whose entire career is, like, they exist as coaches just to get church people to do what church people should do. Like, who, who like, they have to figure out ways, the, the complex methodology, okay, listen, everybody has gifts, and how do we get them to use them to serve other people? Because so many church people don't. And so they come into churches, and they coach, okay, like, here's the, here's the verbiage that you've got to use, and, okay, what, what, what we got to do, we've got to make them think it was their idea, because if they just, if it's just the right thing to do, uh, they probably won't do it, so let's make sure them think that they came up with it, and, okay, make sure that you never talk about how you have a need, because people don't want to go down with a sinking ship, so make sure that you're, like, just, like, that you're, po like that you're positively framing all of it, so it's not, oh, we have a need in this, we have an opportunity here, and, oh, why, why? because just do Doing the right daggone thing of serving because Jesus said is not enough for most of us. What is that? Here's what it is. Here's what it is. I know why we do it. So we have every list. Like we want to feel spiritual, but we don't want to be like the master. We want to feel good about us. We feel like we've learned something. We've experienced something. We felt something. But here's Jesus going, listen, if I'm not above this, neither are you. And so we come up with every excuse in the world. Oh man, well maybe I'll help out. And, okay, I know like the church exists to reach our community, and that's that's awesome. I, I praise God for that. I hope that they're able to do that. But the thing you have to understand is I just got so much on my plate right now. 
Well, bro, you exist to reach this community. Like, if you're here, you need to plug in. Well, maybe when things slow down, I could. Or maybe when work's a little less crazy. Or when my kids are a little bit older. And when I feel like I'm in a better place. And I've had a long week. Hey, here's a newsflash. Everyone's had a long week. Everybody. Me, Josh, all of us have had a long week. And again, here's Jesus who has a big day tomorrow. Who isn't above it. But the truth is, the thing that I've learned um, is that this isn't a schedule issue at all. Give you an example. We have a family in our church in the Elmers. I love the Elmers. I miss the Elmers. The Elmers run a hot dog shop in Dewey. Summertime, they're there working about 3 a.m. And how many Sundays have I come in, and there they are about 7 o'clock in the morning brewing coffee for our 8 a.m. service. They worked till 3 the night before. And there they are serving because they just love people that well. But see, here's the truth, okay? Um, it's not a schedule issue. It's a heart issue. It has nothing to do with actually in your schedule. Like how many people, they want a life-giving church in Lewis? All of us. I mean, I mean people come in, oh, it's just so great to see a church where the young people are, are there. Okay, yeah, it is. And we thank God for that. Nobody's in our church by accident. We believe God's brought us together. But come on. How many among people who, they, they want there to be a life-giving church in Lewis, how many are actually willing to do something about it? How many are willing like, to actually like give up themselves to make that happen? And here's the crazy part, man. You know, I was listening to uh, an interview with Francis Chan, who released a book a couple years ago called Letters to the Church. And it's, I mean, it's a scathing critique of the American church. I, I don't agree with everything he said, but I don't agree with everything most people say, myself included. That's not the point. Um, but he, I was listening to this interview with Francis Chan, and, and they were asking him, like, you know, his spirit behind all of it. And he said, like, I just want to be really, really careful to affirm at the same time if I'm giving correction. He goes, because, listen, how many people have a critique of church and the church? I mean, like, there are, it's everywhere. Millions of them, like blogs, all kinds of stuff. He said, how many people are actually willing to put skin in the game to change the church? To sacrifice themselves for the church? Well, that's a lot more rare. For too many people, listen, I just need to tell you this. Um, you're so interested in you that you've forgotten that there's a community to reach. And by the way, our church only happens because of people who are sacrificial with their time, their energy, their talent, and their money, and their gifts. Look, we just wrapped up a series a couple weeks ago in our church on marriage. I mean, I've been hearing awesome God stories about that way. It's like God's been bringing couples back together and God's been healing and doing incredible things. But you know the truth? Um, if we didn't have people like Mark or Zach or Allie or Chris behind the scenes making this happen, nobody would have heard any of it. You know why? Because it takes all of us. And you go, well, Bert, you're saying this, but look, the church building isn't even open. And I would say, no, it's not. But we're doing everything that we can to get it open. And you know the number one thing that's holding us back right now? If you're, if you're just curious, like, why isn't SEC open? Uh, manpower. Manpower. Like, that's the single biggest thing that is stopping us from being open. Why? Um, because it takes people to do this. Hey, you want, you want a church that pours into your kids. Guess what? That takes people sacrificing to spend time with your kids. 
Hey, you want a church that broadcasts to you at home? Like if you're feeling nervous about COVID, okay, well, guess what? That takes people behind the camera. Hey, you know, you want a church where people are friendly to you? Well, guess what? That takes somebody choosing to smile and hold a door for somebody. And it's not the biggest thing in the world in terms of how difficult it is, but there's just a lack of people who are willing to do it. And the problem is, the problem is for so many of us, this was true before COVID. I hope it's not when we do reopen. The problem is for some of us, the thing that holds us back, the reason your schedule is so full in your eyes and the reason that you're just not energized to do it um, is because you're waiting for serving to be attractive. You're waiting for that moment where things will just line up perfectly so that it best suits you. But can I tell you something? Um, based on this, um, feet are nasty. Like you should just know, like, like the way that Jesus says to serve, he picks the nastiest thing. Like, come on, like feet are gross, dude. Like, come on, like when the, when, okay, it's one thing when you have babies and they have those cute little toes, like this little pity, right? But if you had a grown up with all that crap on there, like, like there's reasons you have to pay people to clean your feet. Like it's, it's, feet are nasty. And I'll just tell you that, man. Like, listen, like the, Jesus picks this task that should not be attractive to anybody. Like if somebody comes up to me and he's like, hey, brother, I just want to wash your feet. I'd be like, get away from me, freak. Like, that's just no thank you, okay? And yet here's Jesus picking of all things. Like, nobody should ever be in the mood to wash someone else's feet. But he picks that one. You know why? Because it's got to get done. It's got to get done. And I want to tell you this, brothers, sisters, if we want to take Sussex County with the gospel, it's going to take all of us pitching in. It can't be Pastor Burt decides to get up on a Sunday morning and preach something real good or borderline adequate. No, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take us having a heart that breaks for our community and being willing to give everything that we've got to see it come to know Christ. And you can't see it. Well, what does that have to do with serving in church? Well, everything, because church has been primary tasked by Jesus to reach the world, right? Like this is, this is Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. Okay. In order to have church, it takes us doing church and life together. And so listen, as we wrap up today, I want to just tell you, going forward from this, and this, no, this is not every talk in this series, say, man, what's he going to say next week? Something cool. But, but here's the truth, okay? If you're like, what, what's my next step? Because the building isn't open, but okay, there's something stirring in me here and I, and I want to serve. I want you to go on over, solidground.church slash serve. Fill out the, the form there. Our leaders will be in touch with you to help get you plugged into areas where your gifts could be used. I, I do believe that right now our church is in a, in a place of refining and pruning. We've lost some folks. I know that. But I believe that the best is ahead of us. And what would happen if we started this new season as a church on our knees in prayer, March 21, and considering everybody else greater than us, emptied as servants, for each other. What kind of church would that be? The answer is it would be a Jesus-honoring church. It would be a church that looks like Jesus. But it starts with you and me. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you've shown us what true greatness is. You've shown us Jesus who possessing the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be clung to. So instead, he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant. 
and he was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Lord, we thank you because Jesus has shown us what real life is. Lord, I pray for my brother and my sister who feels distracted, uh, that you give them clarity moving forward uh, so they can use their gifts to further your gospel. Lord, I pray for my brother or sister right now who feels not conviction, but condemnation. He feels like, man, I just threw them under the bus and they've got enough on their plate. And it feels like I just, they think, oh man, like I just, the, the birch kicked me and I didn't need that while I was down. I would just say, number one, Lord, would you bring healing wherever they need healing? So if they're down right now, you bring healing and, and that you, first of all, solidify their heart in you. Number two, uh, wherever there's been offense, I pray for grace. Um, and number three, that you move them to step into using their gifts for your kingdom and your purposes. Lord, I pray for your blessings on SGC. Uh, that we would be a place that loves you and loves the world well. Please, God, um, we don't need the biggest band. We don't need the highest tech. We don't need the best speakers or anything like that. What we need is you. We need to love you and love people well. If we don't do anything else, if we get nothing else right, let's get that right. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Well, family, thank you so much for tuning in today. Listen, I just feel the need to say this. Uh, for whoever's going through it right now, we've been saying this throughout the pandemic. I'm just going to say it again. Let us know as a church so we can help. Please email us, hello at solidground.church. Let us know what's going on in your life, how we can pray for you, how we can serve you, how we can be there for you. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next Sunday for more of Famous Last Words.